0: Please turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 in your Bibles, and I'll read it. This is God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. We most recently finished the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in our Sunday celebrations. Now we're starting our Advent sermon series. And Advent is the season of preparation before Christmas. Today's sermon is titled Wondering, and it's from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The word wonder is pretty common, is a pretty common cliche word, but I think that it's helpful to revisit its definition to understand what we mean. Here's what I found when I Googled it. Wonder is a feeling of surprise, mingled with admiration, caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or unexplainable. And although thoughts and feelings about Christmas have also become pretty common and cliche, I think wonder is a great word to describe the birth of Jesus into the world. This news should give us a feeling of surprise, mingled with admiration, because it is beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and unexplainable. I hope to give us fresh eyes to see the wonder of Christmas from this passage of scripture. And this is what Advent is all about. It is the time to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas, the holiday that marks the birth of Jesus Christ into the world. All of creation, and especially God's people, groan at the weight of sin and waits for a greater hope. You know, in light of all the difficulties that the world has faced, throughout the pandemic, I think that the words of this well-known Christmas hymn are so relatable in terms of how it yearns for the coming of Christ. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile they're here, until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Christmas is the joyful news that God is with us and that he will re- rescue his people. And throughout this Advent season, we'll unpack the ways that we can prepare for Christmas by meditating on how different characters anticipated the birth of Jesus from the Christmas narratives in the Gospel of Luke. Today, we'll focus on wonder from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Here's the one thing from this passage of scripture that we read. Have wonder-filled faith in God's good news Of Jesus' birth. I have four main points in this sermon. First, God's presence. Second, God's promised king. Third, God's perfect son. And finally, fourth, God's people believe. And I'll share four wonderful truths about Jesus Christ with each of my four main points. For the first main point, let's see verses 26 through 29, God's presence. Here's the first truth that we think uh, as we think about these verses. Jesus is God's wonderful presence with us, his grace given to us as a gift. In these verses, the angel Gabriel declared that God had chosen Mary and that God was present with Mary all by his grace. You know, this is really exciting stuff. Gabriel the angel was already part of the beginning of of Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter one, verses five through 25, he visited Zechariah the priest and announced that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a son, and this was after a long time of of infertility. This son would be John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the coming of God's chosen king. And now, there's even more exciting news that the angel delivered to Mary. There are a few things that are revealed about Mary here. Uh, she lived in a city called Nazareth in the region of Galilee. The region of Galilee on the map is circled, and Nazareth is pointed out and. Uh, so is Jerusalem. So you see how far it is. So this was way north of Jerusalem, and in the outskirts of Israel, it was the it was uh, the the remote, quiet countryside uh, where no one special was expected to come from, and where nothing special usually happened. There's nothing special about Mary's hometown. Mary is also described here in verse 27 as a virgin. And just to explain things in a really straightforward way, this meant that she was a young woman who had never slept with a man. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And you see, back in those days, marriage was a two-step process. The first step was betrothal, which means there was a formal agreement to marry and a payment of a bridal price. The second step was consummation, which meant that the husband took his wife home to live together. Um, husband and wife only slept together in the consummation step, and so Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and they had not yet consummated their marriage yet. They had she had not yet slept with Joseph. Joseph is a passive character here, which is different from um, from Matthew's gospel, in which he's a lot more prominent. Here in Luke's gospel, though, it's just mentioned that Joseph was a descendant of David. The David was the greatest king of Israel who reigned during the golden era of their history. But by this time, this was about 1,000 years later, Joseph's family was not royalty at all. He was just a pretty normal guy living in Galilee and getting ready to be wed to Mary. My point here that I want to make is that there is nothing special about Mary. She was a, a regular human being who, just like all of us, was a sinner Who fell short of God's glory. And when Gabriel the angel came to Mary, his message was very wonderful. It was an unexpected surprise. An angel of the Lord came to her, no one special in the middle of nowhere special, and told her that she was favored by God. And this word favored is the same exact word as grace. God was giving her his divine grace. And the angel of the Lord told her that God himself was with her. This was the fulfillment of God's promise from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is Hebrew and it literally means God is with us. God was not just in the temple in the important city of Jerusalem where the leaders of their day lived. God was with this common young lady, Mary, in this common place. And this is part of the wonder of Christmas. From verses 26 through 29, we see this, the prelude to wonderful truth number one, that Jesus is God's presence, wonderful presence with us, his grace given to us as a gift. For us, this might sound like old news. But for Mary, remember that this was absolutely brand new, wonderful news. That's why the text says that she was greatly troubled and she tried to discern what in the world, what was going on. Her feelings totally make sense because this was totally unexpected and unfamiliar for her. But not just for her, but this would have been a surprise to all of Israel. You see, this was called the intertestamental period or the time between the two Testaments. And remember last week when we we said that, uh, that the end of Nehemiah was this cliffhanger, because it was the last book in the Old Testament in terms of historical timeline. After Nehemiah, there was 400 years of silence, no prophets, no messages from God, and Israel waited impatiently for God to do something. And now, God announced personally to Mary that he was going to pour out his grace and give the world his literal presence, God in flesh and bones, into the world. So far, we've heard about God's presence. Now, for the second main point, let's see verses 30 through 34, God's promised king. And here's the second truth as we think about these verses. Jesus is God's wonderful king that he promised to us in the scriptures. In these verses, the angel Gabriel declared that Mary would give birth to Jesus, the son of the Most High, and his promised king. Um, There's a lot of information packed here in these verses. Uh, Gabriel, the angel, elaborated on his message to Mary. Gabriel announced that the baby would that would be in her, in her womb, already had a name chosen by God for him. And the baby's name was to be Jesus. Jesus is actually more like Yeshua in Hebrew, and it means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the personal name of God as revealed in the Old Testament. In Matthew one twenty one, it explained that this name pointed to the truth that Jesus would save his people from their sins. But there's more to this, so, so let's continue the idea of why the identity of this baby was so surprising to Mary. Jesus was, would not be a common dude. Gabriel's exact words were that he would be great. Gabriel specifically said that Jesus would be given the throne of David. And this is really wonderful because this is what God promised to David himself and to the rest of Israel throughout the scriptures. It's recorded in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12-13 that God promised when David died, he would raise up a new king who would come from David's line. And if you've ever heard of the terms Messiah or Christ, these are actually the Hebrew and Greek words respectively for king. And they refer to the king that God promised to David and to the people of Israel. And this king would build God's house and would be king forever. Gabriel said that this promised king wouldn't be just a son of David, but actually the son of the Most High. Throughout the Old Testament, the title Most High refers to God, God who is revealed in the Bible as literally no one higher no one else. And the promised king, Jesus, would be the son of the Most High, would be the son of God. And think about this a bit more. Kings came and went and led, uh, and led the people of God into all kinds of idolatry, immorality, and corruption. All their earthly kings, like Saul, David, Solomon, and then all the other lesser kings that came afterwards, they all ultimately failed their people. Eventually, what would happen is they were conquered. Their city, their temple were destroyed, and they were taken into exile. Like we studied before in Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews experienced a bit of a revival, but even then, they still felt their need for a greater king. They cried out to God in confession of their sins because they were still slaves. They had been waiting for 400 years. And in that long passing time, they had been subject to the Persians, the Greeks, and now to the Romans. But now in this present moment, God promised that his own son would be their perfect promised king. But here's where it got really confusing for Mary and for any recipient or reader of the gospel. Mary asked this question in verse 34 How will this be since I'm a virgin? Uh, Mary would be pregnant. Now, don't forget how much of a surprise this was for her. Jesus was betrothed, or uh, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but she hadn't slept with him yet, or any, any man for that matter. And, and you know, even back then in ancient times, um, the, they, know how, they knew how things worked, right? And, and, and so for that reason, for Mary, this seemed pretty crazy. But now she was being told that she would be pregnant with this baby named Jesus, who would be God's son, the eternal king. And this, tr- and this truly was wonderful because it was something beautiful that the people of Israel were eagerly waiting for. And it was the same surprise, it was at the same time surprising, because this king would be conceived and born through Mary in this way. So from verses 30 through 34, we see wonderful truth number two, Jesus is God's wonderful king that, is, that he promised to us in the scriptures. Mary, as well as anyone reading this gospel, would have thought that the king would liberate them from their earthly oppressors. But Mary and the rest didn't understand it at the time. But this king was going to turn the idea of of a kingdom upside down. This would be a running theme in the rest of the Gospel of Luke, from Jesus' teaching, ministry, death, and resurrection. And even from the beginning here, we get hints that it would be very different than what we'd normally expect about a kingdom. Mary and Joseph were nobody special or or unique. This king wouldn't be born and raised with privilege as royalty. He would come as a pretty common blue-collar person. And in this way, we can all relate to Jesus, right? This is the wonderful miracle and grace of the incarnation. The Son of the Most High laid down his majesty was born somehow to a virgin uh, mother in in a dusty Roman town, a remote town. When he he started his public ministry, ministry, he spent time with people on the fringes of society, the crippled and lepers, the widows and children, the prostitutes and tax collectors, the sick and the demon-possessed. And eventually he had a bunch of regular folks like you and me following him as disciples. And we'll see as the Gospel of Luke unfolds that God's kingdom in the scriptures is not an earthly human kingdom at all. It is a spiritual kingdom that would take care of a greater need to free people from, the, from just political or military slavery. God was going to free people from the slavery of sin and death, which we'll talk about next. Now we've heard about God's presence and God's promised king. And now for the third point, let's see verses 35 through 37, God's perfect king. Here's the third truth as we think about these verses. Jesus is God's wonderful son born by the Holy Spirit and without sin. In these verses, the angel Gabriel declared that Jesus would be conceived by the supernatural doing of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel explained how this would happen in verse 35. Uh, Jesus would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is called the Most High here, the third person of the triune God who is Most High. And it's pretty cool that each part of the Trinity had significant roles in the events of Christmas. God the Father sent God the Son to earth, and God the Spirit executed that incarnation in the virgin birth. And the phrases that he will the phrases that he will come upon you and that he will overshadow you indicate that by the holy spirit's power Mary would be pregnant without Jesus with Jesus without Mary ever sleeping with anyone. And while this is impossible in scientific terms as Gabriel said later nothing will be impossible with God. It's a miracle. And let me just park on this for a moment. You know, I'd like to mention two reasons why this is so important. First, the virgin birth is described here. The virgin birth as described here made it possible for both the truths that Jesus was 100% God and also 100% human in one person. You know, God could have done it some other way. He could have sent Jesus without any human parents, but then it would have been hard for us to see and understand how he was truly human. Um, God could have sent Jesus to be born with two parents and still keep his divine nature, but then it would be hard for us to see and understand how he was distinctly God. Let me read what Wayne Grudem wrote about this. Quote, When we think of these two other possibilities, it helps us to understand how God, in his wisdom, ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that his full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human mother and his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, End quote. In other words, by Jesus being born by the power of the Spirit, we see that he was the Son of God. By Jesus being born through a human mother, we see that he was also the son of man. If you think about it, all births and the making of a human being, every human being, are miraculous, right? This hit me with every pregnancy and kid that Nikki Nikki and I had. Actually, Nikki did most of the work with that, but in any case, The fact that a brand new human being was growing in the womb of my wife always blew me away. How is that even possible, right? God creates an individual human being out of the shared cells and DNA of his or her parents. And each individual person has their own distinct appearance, personality, talents, and passions that unfold over that person's life. This is absolutely A miracle no human being can recreate this no matter how brilliant our science and technology gets and all this is to say that then it is also very conceivable that god whom the bible says created the entire universe out of nothing can indeed create a child outside of the normal way that he designed and this presents the second reason why the virgin birth is so important it makes it possible that Jesus was 100% human, but without inherited sin. Gabriel said in verse 35, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That child, the child that will be born from the Holy Spirit, will be the second uh, second Adam, the only other human being born the same way as Adam, which was not by natural conception, but directly by the hand of God. Adam was literally the son of God in that way, right? And Jesus was also literally the son of God as well. He did not have a human father and therefore did not inherit the sinful nature that is passed along to every human being after Adam. From verses 35 through 37, we see wonderful truth number three. Jesus is God's wonderful son, born by the Holy Spirit and without sin. Jesus was born holy. And Jesus was born without sin, and throughout his life, he did not sin. And the Apostle Paul explains the significance of this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So Gabriel told Mary that this was the right time that God was sending his son as 100% God and without sin and as 100% man who was subject to the law and obeyed it perfectly. And what this means, according to John Murray, is that Jesus took care of our guilt of sin on the cross, bearing uh, bearing the penalty of our sin on the cross. And at the same time, Jesus also perfectly fulfilled the demands of righteousness, living in perfect obedience to the law of God. And in doing this, by going to the cross, he bought freedom for those who believe in him. This is the idea of redemption. We can also be adopted as children of God, which is also a tremendous, wonderful miracle of God. It is surprise mingled with admiration that, only God could author and that Christ could accomplish. So far, we've heard about God's presence, God's promised King, and God's perfect Son. Now, for the fourth main point, let's see, verse 38, God's people believe. And here's the fourth truth as we think about this verse. Jesus is whom we serve with wonder-filled faith that God's words are true. So in these verses, Mary announced That she was God's servant, believing that what God had declared to her would come to pass. Mary's statement here is a beautiful statement of faith and submission to God's word. She believed that what God was telling her through this angel was true. That phrase, according to your word, indicates that she believed God at his word, period. Mary had to believe that. Mary had to believe this, okay? She would become pregnant, that his name would be Jesus because he would save the world, and that this Jesus would be king forever, and that she would carry the Son of God in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a lot to believe, isn't it? And Mary was just, remember, she was just a normal young woman, and she heard all this crazy, wonderful news. And basically, Mary said to God, I believe you. If anything, Mary was a model of wonder-filled faith in God's words to her. But there are a couple things that can really mess up a heart of wonder-filled faith, isn't there? I'm going to highlight two. The first is cynicism. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, talks about how Christians develop a a quiet cynicism and a, a spiritual weariness as our prayers seem to remain unanswered when we're disappointed with god or when we when we ourselves fail to to keep our commitments which always inevitably happens what happens is that our, our hearts they begin to slowly shut down because we don't want to be let down or frustrated or by god or we don't want to feel guilty over and over again for ourselves and Mil- miller says that this is why Oftentimes, Christians just stop praying. Remember, prayer is actually an exercise of our faith, right? It's an exercise in our faith in God's care, concern, and connection in our lives. And what about you? Has cynicism taken away your sense of wonder? That feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by Christmas being beautiful unexpected, unfamiliar, or unexplainable. The second thing that can really mess up a heart of wonder-filled faith is familiarity. You know, when, when you have seen or experienced something so often, then you can start taking it for granted. That's familiarity. And let me share an example. I grew up in Chicago, which is an absolutely beautiful city with some of the greatest architecture in the world. But my parents owned a grocery store in the city. And when I was a teenager, I went to work at that grocery store once or twice a week. And that was like a one-hour round-trip drive and working there pretty much from, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And so after years of working there, I got very familiar with the city. I even disliked driving into the city most of those times. Um, but you know, now I haven't been I haven't lived in the Chicago area for over 20 years. And actually, this past, this past summer, my family did this architectural tour of Chicago on a boat through the Chicago River. And I was just in awe and wonder at the beauty of the buildings and the history behind them. It was really eye-opening. And looking back, I, I, I can say that I really took for granted the beauty of the city and all that it had to offer for so many years because I got so familiar with it. What about for you? Has the familiarity of Christmas, the services, traditions, the marketing, have those things taken away your sense of wonder? that feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by Christmas being beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and unexplainable. I'll tell you what wonder-filled faith is. Wonder-filled faith is focusing on Jesus and believing that what God's word says about him is true, that he is God's wonderful son, born by the Holy Spirit and without sin. So he lived the life that we failed to live of perfect obedience to God. And he died the death that we should have died as the sacrifice for our sins. He is God's wonderful king that he promised to us in the scriptures, whose kingdom will last forever and includes all of those just normal, regular sinners like you and me who believe in him. He is God's wonderful presence with us. His grace given to us as a gift so we can enjoy real, intimate, personal fellowship and friendship with God. Not having to earn God's favor, but given God's favor and salvation as a gift. I wish I could say, that there, were, there was a quick solution to immunize us from cynicism and familiarity, but there's not. However, this, there, this is truth, and we have to keep repeating it into our hearts. Faith is not based on feelings. It's not based on whether or not you feel warm and fuzzy this month in Christmas. It's based on the object of our faith. And the good news is, is that God and his words are reliable and true. This is the forever constant as you go through the ups and downs of life. And I know that many of us might be in a down season right now. And from verse 38, we see this wonderful truth number four. Jesus is whom we serve with wonder-filled faith that God's words are true. Therefore, holidays like Christmas are a means of grace. This is an opportunity for us to look back at what God has given us this Christmas season, his son as our savior, our king, and his presence with us. This is an opportunity for us to be reminded that God's present activities and promises help our past activities and promises helps us to trust God in our uncertain present and future situations. Amen. And so we hear, we've heard about God's presence, God's promised king, God's perfect son, and finally how God's people believe. Now let's conclude with the life application. Thinking about Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38, how can you have wonder-filled faith in God's news of Jesus' birth this Advent season? First, set aside time in solitude to personally reflect on the Christmas story from the Bible as a means of grace. Think about some time that you can allocate this week to be in the Word and to be with Jesus, to be in God's presence, God's promised King, God's perfect Son, and how you believe in Him. And this is helpful because there is a lot of busyness and noise in our lives, isn't there? Pausing this way, Intentionally planning specific times to do this can be a great way to be filled with wonder at the gift God gave us in his son. It's a good chance to evaluate the cynicism and familiarity levels in your own heart and and to spend time in repentance and receiving God's grace again. Second, set aside time in church community to remember the significance of Christmas. Be intentional for this too. Doing something in life group, making plans to meet together, or connecting in any other way you can with brothers and sisters in Christ. Read an Advent devotional together. Sing Christmas hymns together. Share with each other stories in your own lives of when God's grace was so real and clear to you. When it was wonderful. And don't underestimate these corporate means of grace, even like right now. Even something like attending baptism service is a chance to see the gospel, the wonderful news of Jesus' salvation in each other. And in fact, we can do this now, can't we? Let's identify what is causing some of our cynicism and familiarity in our hearts. Let's meditate on the wonderful news of Jesus' birth, God's presence with us, God's promised King throughout the scriptures, God's perfect son born holy to be the sacrifice for our sins. Let's ask God to give us renewed, wonder-filled faith, especially in the current situations that we're in. Let's do this now together. Let's pray.